is good Bruin Bible listeners it is your host Will Decker we got to get a sponsor in before we start this episode it's bet online bet online is your number one source for all your basketball info stats news and scores get the latest odds and lines and the latest matchup reports for this year's NBA playoffs bet online is your sports intel headquarters this season as we have you covered for your insider sports wagering needs from basketball, Major League Baseball, NHL, hockey, golf, to UFC and boxing. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your home. Make sure you check out Bet Online. Get into the action today. So head to the website or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use your promo code BELIEVE to receive your 50% bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts now to the Bruin Bible. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Bruin Bible, a Tuesday evening affair as my main man, Wayne Cook, kind enough to join us once again. He has been out at fall practice, two of the five practices. He's got some notes. He's got some thoughts on what's been going on, which would be fun to share. Uh, We're going to talk about the new recruit, uh, Derek McFall, four-star running back coming in. But Wayne, I think the only logical place we can start, since we have not really talked about it on the air, as a former Pac-12 quarterback yourself, Pac-10 back in the day, is the collapse of the Pac-12. You know, you look at the different circumstances, the different dominoes that fell. It felt like when UCLA and USC left, it was the beginning of the end in a lot of ways. It was going to look different, but I didn't expect it to completely just wipe out from what it once was, you know, Oregon, Washington, making the leap to the big 10, Utah, Arizona, Arizona state going to the big 12 with the likes of a Colorado, you know, different scenarios where we're looking at a Washington state and Oregon state going, where do these guys go? Cal and Oregon at a variety of different places. Wayne, help me make sense of all this PAC 12 officially collapses. Give me your thoughts on what, not only what went wrong, but how you're feeling about the whole situation. I mean, Will, it's first of all, it, it stinks, right? It, and, and it's funny because I've been listening to sports talk radio all day. And I, I mean, really, well, I, I do it all the time. I shouldn't lie. I listen to it all the time. But like, it seems like like what's happened recently it with everybody leaving in the Pac-12 kind of looking like it's it's dead, it's no longer going to exist. It's just sad. It's It's a part of America. It's a part of the history of college football. It's like but since like 1915 or whatever, I mean, it's like, it's, it's been around for, um, for so long. I think I've told you this before. My dad was, um, was team captain and uh, most valuable player for the Arizona Wildcats. So I've grown up and, and even though they weren't in the Pac-12 at the time either, <laughs> they've, they've been, I mean, I've, I've, I've known and watched Arizona football, UCLA football. I grew up a USC and UCLA fan. And to be honest with you, let's, let's be honest. This became much more possible when UCLA and USC last, last year. Yeah. 
and people don't want to hear it, but like, because, and, and I know a lot of people are thrown around and I've said this too, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. And I, I've been preaching this forever. Once we went down the road of paying athletes and NIL and unlimited transfers and all the like free, free, everybody's got freedom. I said, be careful of the unattended consequences. Yeah. The person who, who, who loves to study history, history always has, there's pros and cons to every decision that we make. And sometimes you have to, you have to make those decisions on the pros are better than the cons. And so we're going to, we're going to do this. Um, there are consequences and these consequences might include women's sports. It might include all the Olympic sports. It might include the fact that people forget that when we want to start, someone said today and they thought they were being funny or tongue in cheek. They're like, let's not call them student athletes anymore. Like it's, it's, that's a lie. Every single one of the kids at UCLA is a student athlete. Yo, yes. Whether they're getting NIL money or not. And I promise you the majority of the PAC 12 and the future big, big 10 schools and even ACC for that matter. I won't say that for a couple of the other conferences, but kidding a little bit. Um, but, but for those academics does matter. And I do believe that those presidents care that the students get an education because we can pull up the charts of the percentage of athletes and I swear, I heard someone say this out the other day, too, and I thought it was brilliant. You go to any college in America, even some of the D2 schools, and you ask those kids what they want to do when they're done with their football career, and they're like, they're going to the NFL. All of them. Every player from Fresno and Rice and UCLA and Alabama, like the big ones, all the way down to the schools that they might not have one kid that makes it in the NFL. There are still young people on those teams going, I'm going pro. And they're going to realize they're not. And then, trust me, I was one of those people. I went, I, I had a cup of coffee and a couple of camps, and it, it doesn't work out for way more of us, 90-something percent of us, than it does the other. So what I hope is with all this chaos that we keep reminding people that at places like UCLA, the kids still go to school. We, we have the highest GPA, GPA we've had in a long time. Kids are getting – master's degree. Some of them are getting multiple guys like guys like Shea Pitts, who, who was, was such a, a, a good human and got everything out of his body possible at UCLA, like did everything he could. And he tried to make it. Now, let's be honest. Shea was probably not going to make it in the NFL, but he's already back on campus. I, I saw him on Saturday when I was there. And I was like, is that Shea? And he's out there helping coach. So I don't know. I'm kind of rambling as I usually do, and I apologize, but like it stinks. But at the same time, this is where I'm, I'm going to be weird. And, and I get this a little bit. This is why I appreciate Chip Kelly so much, Will. Yeah. We can't do anything about it. So let's just make the best of the situation. I mean, and he's been, by the way, he's been very vocal. He talked about a 64 team, like, you know, all the power teams playing. He had a lot of ideas, but like, it's funny because I don't have the solutions, but what I do know is that even though it sucks, there's going to be some great matchups. The, the Big Ten is going to be – I mean, let, and let's be honest. Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA versus and, – and, again, I apologize if, I, if I'm insulting anybody – but versus Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and, and I'm going to ignore Utah because Utah is the big get, in my opinion. Maybe not market-wise, but football program-wise. It's the big get of those four. 
But the, the Big Ten hit a home run. Yeah. They, they grabbed the the and again you can you can be mad at UCLA. Yes, I know they went through a couple of decades of not being nearly as good as they should have been. But but at the, but we're also climbing back up right now, and we're we're going to be a, a a power in the in the near future. Yeah, man. And you made a good point where it was you know when UCLA and USC left, I think it was kind of written in stone a little bit that that you know everything was going to kind of blow up a little bit. Texas and OU do not get enough credit for going to the SEC because they were really the first major marquee schools to leave their conference. I think once they did that and go to the SEC or make the declaration by 2024 that they were going to be there, the the wires started turning in the minds, you know, for Mike Bone at USC and, you know, Martin Jarman at UCLA. So I think that was the move that really set everything apart. And, you know, on top of that. Real real, real quickly, Will, again, I I apologize because – that's an awesome point. Remember how dead the Big 12 was? Incredibly dead. And it's not like they added, like, the biggest names in the world. I mean, they got BYU, and which, by the way, BYU has a huge following. But they've got Houston, and they got Cincinnati, and they, they went and got some of the better. That would be like the Pac-12 if they would have gone out earlier and got BYU, and not BYU, but uh, Fresno State and Boise State and, and SMU and some of these. It would have been kind of like that. And then when they added the the bottom rung, let's be honest, the the four corner schools. And again, I'm excluding Utah. This, but Colorado's been terrible. Maybe they're going to get better with Prime. Maybe they are. Um, you know, Arizona struggled for quite a while now. Even though I'm I'm I still I like that school and what Ted Fish is doing. Arizona State is a mess right now. They, they've been a mess. They, they've got leadership issues and they've had cheating issues and they've had some other issues. I'm not, but I do like their new coach too. Kenny Dillingham is going to be a good coach. I agree. Um, but so, but it, it, all of this, if the leadership is what I was going to get at, what you said, of the Big 12 said, we're not going to just sit and say, hey, we're the Big 12, because they could have died just like the Pac-12 just did. Yeah. They didn't. They went out and did something. It feels like the Pac-12 just sat back and said, yeah, we're the Pac-12. We've got this amazing history. We're, we're going to be okay and then when the offer was made of, and again, I don't know the exact numbers, but people were throwing up the $20 million with incentives or subscriptions to Apple TV and really no linear. People were like, really? Like we've been waiting this long? And it's like, we don't know. There'll be a 30 for 30 at some point in time that goes behind the scenes and we learn more about what actually happened, you know, the death of the Pac-12. But it was pretty bad. And SC and UCLA kind of maybe saw this coming. And couldn't turn down the amazing opportunity they got, which, by the way, way better than what Washington and Oregon got. Yeah. And to pivot on that point, do you remember when the Big 12 was trying to do a merger with the Pac-12 at one point in time? And Klevkov just kind of waved them off. It may, it may have been Larry Scott at the end of his tenure. I heard SC didn't want that either. Well, I mean, as I a Bruin Bible podcast, as the Bruin Bible podcast, SC always ruins everything, man. You know, we just... <laughs> That's what they do. You know, this is the UCLA podcast. We got to say that where it comes up. But um, there was a moment in time where the Big 12 was fearing for its longevity more than the Pac-12 and was trying to pair up with the likes of a Pac-12. And Klevkov goes, get out of here. Like, we don't want anything to do with you guys. What goes around comes around because it came to a point where he tried to reach back out and tried to reestablish that partnership. And Big 12 was just like, it's a little too late, man. Like, we're not going to partner with you anymore after what you guys did to us last time. So it's a really weird situation in a yeah. lot of regards. And that kind of pivots me to the four teams that we don't know where they're going. Um, 
Oregon State, in a lot of regards, let's say Jonathan Smith stays there. Let's say he stays there. And their baseball program is what it is. Who are the three biggest money-making sports in college? They've got two very successful programs there. You know what I mean? I mean, Oregon State won 10 games. I just saw the AP poll come out for this year, Wayne. They're number 18 in the country. Like, this is a very, very solid football team. So, I think if I'm Oregon State, before I turn it over to you, I'm going to Jonathan Smith and going, where do you want to go? We just got to keep you here, man, because we know – We've had one of you guys before, kind of with Mike Riley, you know, early 2000s era, Oregon State football, late 90s. And we don't want to lose that again. So, like, we want to keep you here. What do you want to do when it comes to football? That would be my strategy because I hate it, man, like you do. It's all about money nowadays, and it, it sucks. Like, I, the, my, the reason I loved college sports more than anything else was the spirit, the feeling of the students playing and the community experience of the students and the athletes coming together and playing, but it's all about money, and this is how it's going to be dictated for where Oregon State goes. You so know, where would you like to see Oregon State go? You know, I mean, I feel like Oregon State and Washington State both fit in the Big Twelve perfectly. Yeah, I, I don't think they really fit anywhere else. They're 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 going to and they're going to have to take you know they're going to have to take less, you know. But if you could get those two schools at twenty two, I think the Mountain West is around eight. Right. So you don't want to go, you don't want to go that route. And I'm not saying that they might not have to. But now imagine go from going from what they were getting in the Pac 12 to, to what they would be getting in the Mountain West. I mean, that I don't know how you survive that. I mean, you you're you and again, going back to your Jonathan Smith point, I, I, I'm a huge fan as well. And I, I love what he's done there. And I do actually believe that there are human beings out there that would say, I'm okay staying at Iowa State like Matt Campbell did, or I'm okay staying at Oregon State, even though, I mean, I've got enough money. I love it here. I'm happy. There are some of those people out it's there. It's rare. It's rare, though. I mean, well, it's, And it's, it's rare because, Will, it's rare because, like, we've seen, and again, I'm a huge golf fan. When all the live stuff started, like, and you started hearing these numbers, most people, when they get over the, like, you're changing something that's been a part of I've been watching them. I remember watching Jack Nicholas in, in 86 win the, you know, win the green jacket. It was like an amazing moment. I mean, I, I've been watching that. And I don't want that to be changed because and this, this is like college football, right? I, I like my rivalries. I like the regionality of, of the sport. I like, but we've been losing that for a long time. I remember when I was growing up, you watched UCLA sports on TV in Southern California because that's what was on. You didn't have the choice to watch every game in America every week. And, and so, like, and we also have dealt with, for the longest time now, ESPN, and I don't care if you're watching College Game Day or whatever, has laughed at the Pac-12. It's, it makes fun of it. It kind of smirks at it. Like, if UCLA ever makes it into the ranks, like, yeah, it's UCLA. Like, and I, I watch it, and I almost want to throw stuff at the TV, and I get mad at myself for watching it. But when they talk about Alabama and Georgia and Clemson when they were doing their thing and Ohio State, constantly – and then they're constantly bad-mouthing the, the Pac-12, who, who, again, hasn't had – remember we had a run of Stanford being really good, SC was really good, Oregon was really good. But lately yeah. it's been a little bit – Washington had a little bit of a run with Chris Peterson. But for the most part, it's been kind of all over the place. And then the last couple of years has been Utah. I think that's a healthy conference. But according to ESPN, unless you're Alabama or Georgia and you're going to the, you're going to the playoffs almost every year – 
and then they just include everybody else in the conference like, oh, they're amazing. It just means more. I actually think that affected the way people think, like around the nation. Like if you pay attention to social media, and I know you do, or if you watch any shows, it's kind of like, ah, it's just the Pac-12. And it's funny because they were doing that about the Big 12 too, but for some reason, because your mark has done a great job of pumping up that, that conference, people are talking highly of them now, really, and they haven't even changed that much. How did they – they just got bigger. They don't have any behemoths in that conference with Oklahoma and Texas leaving. And to be honest with you, Texas has been kind of cruddy, like for a long time now. Yeah, so, it's been a decade. Where a lot of times what I'm getting at is it's like it's perception. And sometimes these these moguls that kind of run what we view and what we see, it's like politics, right, Will? If you watch a certain station all the time and all you get is their agenda, you're just walking around thinking, well, that's right, because that's all I know. Well, if all I hear is the Pac-12 is terrible, but all of us out here that watch it, we're like, it's actually really good, and there's a, a lot of good teams. You, you could pick six teams to win the conference this year. Oh, it's, that's the tragic thing of it all, Wayne. It, there's there is it's the most loaded it's ever been from top to bottom. Yeah. There's like maybe two bad teams in the conference this year. Like everybody else, it's like fair game. Like everyone else has a chance to not only go to bowl games, but be on like upset. Like when we go to Arizona, that's a game I'm like worried about. You know what I mean? Like when you go to Oregon State, oh, it's a game. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, well, Arizona beat us last. So there's like there's legitimately like eight to nine teams where you're going. Oh, I, you know, we got to bring our A game that game. Like, yeah. it's not going to be easy to come out there with a W. So, before we pivot to the uh, practice practices that you've watched and who's made an impression, what you've been impressed with, um, last call Stanford, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State. If you had to make a decision, where do you see these teams going and what? So, the Stanford and Cal thing is tricky because of the academics, right? And there's yeah. been a lot of there's been a lot of um, press today with the ACC, which fits. But the ACC struggling with Florida State right now. Clemson has been quiet, but like they're not real happy with their media deal. Um, I, I I don't know the travel's insane, but I guess you could say the same thing for UCLA and USC. A lot of people are finally starting to bring up all the other sports. I know, I know I read an article where Chip Kelly talked about having football be separate and then having the other sports play in leagues that were more regional so they wouldn't have to travel as much, which, again, would have been nice if they would have maybe not. Doesn't it feel like we almost rushed into all this? Oh, 100%. <laughs> like, and, and then everybody's going to be like, oh, crap, what do we do? When, I mean, like, think about Stanford. Someone pointed this out, too. I'm, I'm stealing this, but they win more national championships than anybody <laughs> – and, it, and I know UCLA is close, but Stanford's just kicks butt. They're like a feeder system to the Olympics, right? What's going to happen if, if Stanford has to try to become independent? Or if, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know where they fit. The first thing I thought was Oregon State, Washington State should go to the Big 12. Big 12, make them a, a fair offer, but less than everybody else. They'll probably take it. And then let them – because you're going to be surprised, by the way, if you're in the – I don't think that Oregon State and Washington State move straight to the bottom of that conference. No. They, they come in right in the middle, and every three or four years you're going to be like, oh, crap, they're good. Yeah. And then they'll fall off for a little while, and then they'll come. Remember, I mean, remember when they had the Rodgers uh, quiz and his brother? Those were 10-win teams under Mike Riley, and it got him to – got him his job, I think, at, at Nebraska. 
but he was kicking butt there. And they loved him there. And they were winning nine, ten games. And so these programs can win. So I think they would do well there. Stanford and Cal are so tricky to me. And this is – I think Cal is a mess. Oh, the athletically? Thing, the financial thing. I mean, the fact that they're just not I – mean, I mean, basketball, do they win at all? They went 4-22 and 22 last year, if I'm correct. I mean, like, like that, how do you do that? You're, yeah, I, mean, I know. You're, you're a great academic institution where your degree matters. You got to be able to convince some big, tall, smart people to come to your school and, and play basketball. But I mean, it's if you're if you're struggling that much, I get it's a market. I do get it, but it seems like Stanford's the prize. We have to remember that from about 2009 to about 2016 or 17, Stanford was one of the better programs nationally. The end of the Jim Harbaugh era, and then the oh, yeah. first oh. seven or eight years of. They had a couple of guys that probably could have won the Heisman. McCaffrey should have won the Heisman. Uh, wow. they were, they, they've proven that they can do it. So I think they're more valuable. I wouldn't mind seeing them in Notre Dame someday get into the Big Ten. Yeah, and I think, honestly, if I was going to make a, you know, a proclamation of what happens, the Big Ten has 18 teams right now. They want to have a marketable round number 20. I think that's kind of – they would be looking to add two more teams. I think they're going to reach out to Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's going to reject them because they like the independent status. And I think they're going to add Stanford and Cal because they can at least market the Big Ten West as being a little bit more travel-friendly to some of these teams. It does help. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think from that angle, you know, and Stanford and Cal feels very similarly – and, you know – I'm, I'm a UCLA guy. Like, this is who I ride for. It feels more of a, a similar package deal, maybe not to the level of athletics that UCLA and USC provide. But I think if Stanford goes, Cal's going to follow. For as bad as Cal has been athletically, they have so many resources and so many people in powerful positions that will vouch for them to go to a conference. So that's my opinion on that, man. Yeah, so I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to happen in January. I'm sure the Big Ten's reached out to them going, sit tight, just wait till January. We're not going to add anyone before the season starts, but we will be in contact as soon as the season ends. So that's my kind of two cents on that. But, Wayne, you were actually out at another practice on Saturday. Um, got to kind of chop it up with some coaches, some players. Talk to me about the, the scenes and what you were able to watch at uh, relatively close practice for everybody else. Yeah, I have to keep reminding everybody that I'm, I'm, I'm really, I swear to you, this is, this is a hundred. What I'm about to say is a hundred percent the truth. Yes, I am blown away with how no nonsense and professional this team practices. They had an absolute awesome practice. I did not see anybody screwing around if there was any talking going on it was in the context of playing right it's hard to go a whole price without hearing kirk would say something right so like he's and he's he and he's, he's fun to listen to by the way it's fun it's, it's fun to watch those guys go at it but for the most part i i hear the guys talking about the play i hear them coming off to the sidelines and their coaches are in their, are in their ear or they're talking to each other about i hear the the older, more established players coaching up the younger guys. And the coaches are on it. I mean, it's just absolute no-nonsense. And I, 
And I keep bringing this up over and over and over again, Will, because it hasn't always been this way. I, I remember going to some camps where we were, I don't, we used to go out to San Bernardino when Jim Mora got here. And I remember bringing my kids when they were younger. And, and don't get me wrong, those players were amazing. But there were some guys that were like, you guys, stop talking like that. Like, you're right next. And it was just, it was unnecessary. It, yeah. it was unnecessary. It's like, it's like, I'll tell you a, a funny story that ties into this. Um, I was, when I was practicing with the 49ers back in 95, um, I threw a pass. And if I told you the story, I apologize for repeating it, but it ties into what oh. I'm getting at. I, yeah. I threw a pass and it was terrible, right? It fluttered off and it was, it was, it was, it was not even near where it should have been. And I said an expletive pretty loud. I was like, really, really mad. It was like, you know, screw this, like in another word. And Greg Knapp, God rest his soul, who's, who's recently left us, which is terrible because he's a great guy. He says, hey, coach, get over here. And I go, yeah, coach. He goes, we don't do that here. And I went, do what? Like throw bad passes? I'm sorry. I go, no, because you don't need to act act like you – like to me, he, to him, that was just a show. Like I don't need to show everybody. Like just get back and don't do that again. And I, I, I loved that. It was like one of those little moments in my life that like I can act like I care. I can, but or I can just get back and keep working hard and do better. Like it was really weird. It's like don't be showy, just do it. And I was like, okay. I played for the Arizona Cardinals for a little bit too, and I remember everybody was doing cussing and screaming and doing stuff, and they sucked. One of them was a Super Bowl champion, and the other one wasn't very good. So I always, always stuck in my head. And when I go to UCLA practices now, I, trust me, I hear a few swear words. We all do. I mean, shoot, if I stub my toe walking out there. I'd probably say one too, but like for the most part, it's within the context of football. They're so hyper focused on football, and and there are some other things that I there. There was a conditioning moment. I'm not going to get into details because you know I'm not allowed to. I know the, the way that it was explained by coach after practice and how well these guys did with conditioning. I was blown away, and I and it made me. It was like it was like like Chip Kelly is this this master he's using psychological warfare on these guys and he's doing it in a way where they're there i think that just it works so well he said from a teacher to a teacher it's great teaching and i love it i absolutely love it because you're not pounding them over the head well this is what you should do you're having a demonstration and then the kids are going oh my gosh this is what we should do they're realizing it if that if, you, if that makes sense so it was just such a well-run practice. Again, not a whole lot of – like you said, everything was pretty closed. You know, you can't sit up in lot eight anymore and watch. But I'm just telling you, these guys are working their tails off, and it's 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 really awesome to watch. Yeah, and we, we don't have to get too specific on, you know, the formations and everything they were running. You did say the defense had a pretty nice day on Saturday. Is that correct? Who stood out to you on the defensive side of the ball? The, the, whole, the entire secondary made it very difficult for the, for, for the receivers to get separation. Now, we all know that after a while, defensive players get pretty smart in practice when they're going against the same offense over and over and over again. And so, like, as an old quarterback, you know, I remember I used to play games with Donnie Edwards because he kind of knew what we were doing all the time. Donnie's one of the smartest guys I've ever played against. Um, so I would just mess with him. I would I would try to move him with my eyes as much as I possibly could because I, I knew otherwise he was just going to intercept me all day because he was that good and that athletic. So, like, the defensive guys do sometimes have a little bit of an advantage 
uh, in practice because you're going against an offense where you kind of know what they're doing. You know their checks. You know how they do things. But I, I just I just think the defense looked awesome. I like our depth in our secondary. Um, I like the idea that the Coach Lynn and, and, and Coach uh, Whitfield and, and Coach uh, Norwood, I, I love that they're all kind of secondary guys. I like that. We know we got Ken Norton in the middle. We know we got all that that front seven going, but the secondary has been a weakness. Yeah. Or watch a practice where there's depth and competition, and I don't know who's going to play, right? You see 27 out there. You see the new kid, number zero out there, Anderson. You see all these guys roaming around. I'm like, and we know that 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 Coach Kelly likes to run more than one, you know, not just we're not just gonna put four DBs out there or five and they're not just gonna play the whole game. There's gonna be some rotation. Usually a little bit less in the secondary, but there is some rotation. Um, so I'm fired up about the competition and I thought they had an awesome practice. I really did. Yeah, and you were telling me you actually got to connect with DeAnton Lynn. Um, UCLA fans are excited about this guy. You mentioned the defense, you know, while talented, uh, you know, was just kind of a more undisciplined group over the last few years. Um, DeAnton Lynn, young, energetic, new coach, now at UCLA. Uh, talk to me about your early impressions on him and how the players are responding to him. He's so at ease with what he's doing. You can just feel like he, he's, he's ultra confident. He has very high expectations. Like my favorite type of coach is one that isn't one that browbeats you all day, but has high expectations and expects you to live up to those expectations. And if you do that well as a coach, the players play hard for you. Doesn't mean that you're not ever going to chew anybody out and some guys get yelled at, some guys get chewed out. But for the most part, that's a whole staff thing. I mean, all, all these guys I'm talking about, they have a way of expecting a lot. And, and, and it's almost created this atmosphere as the kids now are expecting a lot from themselves. Like when they make mistakes, they're looking for coaching. Like, well, what can I do better? What did I do wrong? And um, I think the scheme, and I, and I did hear this from somebody, and I'm not going to get too specific, but it leads to them being comfortable and aggressive. And I think for all athletes, we like to not be thinking too much. I mean, I, I swear there were times in my playing career where you could ask me to drop why I did something like, why, Hey, why did you call that, that audible? And it just, sometimes it's just like, I just saw something and that felt like it was the right play to run. And that sounds like a terrible answer, but sometimes it's just like, you just see it. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It was just, there was a hole right there. And, it, and I've been taught so well that I just know what to do. The, the great players, like we're going to get to watch Eric Hendricks for the chargers this year. He's yeah. one of my favorite players. That, that has ever been through UCLA. I love the guy. His instincts were so good that he just was always a step ahead of everybody else. And you do that when you're just, you're just ultra confident in what you're doing and you're not even thinking anymore. You're just reacting. And that guy was reacting faster than almost anybody I've ever seen. Like he was incredible. He's still doing it. He's been a great NFL player too. Um, so, so I think that that helps. It's also going to help. I also mentioned to someone out there, it's going to help to have a great front seven, right? Just, oh, yeah. The secondary person I was talking to just got a big smile on their face. Yeah, man. Toya is like my kind of under-the-radar player that I think could have like a first or second team all-pack 12 impact on the defensive line next to a lot to Murphy twins, Keanu Williams. I mean, even a guy like Grant Bucky, man, I saw the potential there. I know he's a true freshman, but – I'm excited about what I saw in spring ball. Wayne, I'm going to pivot you this question. 
it's going to be the same thing that I asked Chip essentially at media day. You're not, you don't have to name a starter. You don't have to name what you even really saw, but tell me what you liked about some of the quarterbacks that we've seen, because that is the talk of UCLA. Um, what, what have you liked about Dante Moore? What have you liked about Garbers and Martin? Some of these guys. So th- this is, this is a great question because um, I, I, I went over and I, I watched uh, these guys throw into the net. Right. And they, there was a little bit of wind and they were throwing into the, into the, into the fade route, into the, the bigger net. And I was, and they were missing a lot. And it was funny because they're all, I mean, trust me, they had overall, all five quarterbacks had great practice. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All five. Um, and really I shouldn't say that because I met six to Luke. I, I, I mean, what a, what a nice young man. He's swimming mentally right now. Like everything's like that coming at him real fast. And I just pulled him aside and said, Hey dude, just hang in there. You're probably running scout team in a few weeks and they'll be holding up cards for you. It makes things a lot easier. And he laughed and he goes, I'm kind of looking forward to that. But like, it's, <laughs> he's such a nice young man. I mean, he's tall, big, big, tall kid. Huge. He's like six, six, right? Uh, yeah, good arm. He, he'll, he'll, he'll figure it out. But, but I met all of them, but I was teasing him about the face. I'm like, I'm an old man and I could have put a few more in the net than you guys. And they all just kind of laughed at me. They said it was windy, but they're such nice guys. Like from, from Chase to Justin, to Colin Schley, who I talked to, I went up to him and said, hey, Colin, I just wanted to say hi. I'm an old quarterback. He's, he looked at me because my dad told me all about you. He goes, I know who you are. And I'm like, these guys, are they're such, they're such nice, like all of them. You know, Dante and, I, Dante and I talked, you know, Ethan and I talked. So anyway, um, I really don't have a horse in this race. I just want the best player to win. Agreed. I thought they had a really good practice. I'll give you a little tidbit, though. This is a moment that people wouldn't, wouldn't see. One of the quarterbacks, I just gave you an example. Like one of my favorite things of, of being a player um, was was calling an audible that was a run play and having it work really, really well. Like it's a lot of times people don't even notice it because like, you know, the quarterback's just, it's like, it's like Peyton Manning going, Omaha, Omaha. Like you don't really know because he says Omaha all the time. Like sometimes we use dummy signals. Sometimes we do stuff that isn't real. Sometimes we do stuff that is real. When you make an audible for a run and it succeeds, it's really funny to watch because the coaches that know get fired up about stuff like that. And this particular play was a quarterback with a lot of with, – with, with, well, I'm not going to say that part. A quarterback who made a check at the line of scrimmage. Carson Steele goes up the middle. It's a, a, the, the C's parted. And it's funny because one of the DBs was getting kind of talked to by a coach. And he goes, what'd you see? And the, and the DB goes, it was a huge hole. And that was all because the quarterback made the right check at the right time. And I know Gundy was fired up. And I think he might have jumped about this high. He got, he got excited. And it was just, I think people forget that we can talk about all these other things. Those things right there actually win you football games. Yeah, They, they really do. And so um, – I'm not going to tell you who it was, but the idea is is that that play probably got a check mark next to it as that that matters. Here's the great thing about this group, though, and I think you saw the pictures from like the swim day. Oh yeah, that was the next day. They had they they were getting they worked really hard at the price I was at, so they probably deserved that one. But they were having so much fun. 
that stupid rumor about Dante and whatever. Oh, God. I love that he came out and answered that, which he's not a real big social media guy, but like he came out and said, you know what? No, I was, I'm like, I did not see any of that either, but this team, they like each other. And I think the quarterbacks do too. I think, yeah. I think one of the misconceptions is that, you know, when Chase, when Chase throws a good pass, they get excited. Justin Martin, I'm telling you, every time I watch him play, he does something that I just go, wow, that was a great throw. This kid has all kinds of talent. Colin is coming around. Like, they're all doing such good things, but I truly believe that they're happy for each other and rooting for each other. And I know that's tricky. Like, when my backup quarterback when, when was um, – uh, for my first my first year or two was was Rob Walker. Rob Walker and I roomed together on every road trip. And I always say he's the best backup quarterback in the history of the world. And I love the guy. We're yeah. still friends to this day. I absolutely love the guy. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I did not ever want him to beat me out. And I and I'm sure he wanted to beat me out. But that didn't mean we couldn't be great friends and great teammates. Yeah. And I think it really points a light to what Ryan Gunderson has built with this room because we've talked about it many of times, Wayne, on camera, off camera, where it's like this team has four legitimate Division One quarterbacks in a room right now. You know, and it's it's, Chase would succeed if you put him in the freaking game. We've already seen it, right? I mean, I swear to you, this guy—he doesn't have the arm or the size or the feet. Hey, Chase, you saw it when he came against Oregon a couple years ago. He did some. He did some really nice things, man. So like, he does, he does every time I see him in practice too. He just, he just, he just knows what he's doing. Hey, I'll, I'll give you an example about Gunderson. Okay, so you know I love Ryan. He's 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 great guy. He's a great, 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 great guy. I love what he does with the quarterbacks. Every time I watch practice, I'm so impressed with how they practice. And again, I, I keep bringing this up because I, I've seen years where I walked away from UCLA's practice going, "Is anybody coaching the quarterback?" Like it's like. <laughs> I had a coach tell me once, oh, yeah, we deal with that in the film room. I'm like, I get it, but he just practiced really badly for an hour and a half. I go, sometimes I think I truly believe this. We've had quarterbacks that were probably way better than they were. Oh, my I, God. I didn't word that right. Yeah. Because I think if they would have been coached a little bit better, I, I think their careers would have been better. Coaching matters. So we watched Dorian Thompson Robinson and Demetri Felton ball oh, out. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. We watched we watched Demetric Felton do that hand on the ground, right? You remember he had a hand on the ground play where he used to do that at UCLA. Deshaun Foster is a great, great, great coach. All of his running backs succeed. They all do. They're, they're just and I watched so many things from Demetric's first year as a running back to when he was in his last year as a running back at UCLA. His patience, his ability, his cutback ability, his bouncing it outside ability, putting the hand in the ground run after contact, his balance, like all that stuff is so good. So I attribute that to coaching because he had that stuff at UCLA. Yeah. If you watch and someone did a great job of breaking down the film of one of the passes that Dorian Thompson Robinson threw. Oh, QB school. This is uh, so good. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I saw it. When I, when I watched Dorian at the combine, um, and this is going to sound mean and I'm not trying to be mean, but I watch I'm watching them drool all over Will Levis and I'm going, why? throws across his body his feet are terrible yeah he can throw the ball a long way who cares like that doesn't make you a great quarterback and maybe he'll be good but he needs to be coached some because his mechanics are are not great they're really not um but dorian's are and dorian's has got had the biggest arm at that at that camp right they did the speed thing and he won 
And Dorian's got great feet. It doesn't mean that – and remember, Dorian has played a lot of football, but he didn't really play quarterback until his senior year of high school. So I still think there's more growth in Dorian. I want Dorian to become less and less receiver and more and more quarterback as he's progressed through. And, again, it helps to have a good coach. But And granted, now he's going to see more difficult defenses than you see early in preseason because no one's doing anything complicated. But Dorian looked polished. I'm willing to bet you all of week one that we watch this week, you will see very few rookie quarterbacks, and I'm including all of them. I'm including all of them that have as good a performance as he did. And, again, that's got to be attributed to, to, to Chip Kelly, you know, running a somewhat of a pro-style offense, right, and, and the coaching that they're getting from both Coach Kelly and Coach Gunners. Yeah, the coaching, you know, is just unbelievable when you look at you know, just the, the pro-level coaches that are at UCLA. I mean, we've raved about Deshaun Foster. Find me a better running backs coach than that in college football. Ken Norton Jr. was the best linebackers coach in the NFL. Like Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, these guys give that guy credit for developing him, them into like a, absolute studs out on the football field. This guy's coaching UCLA's linebacking room. Tim Drevno was the 49ers offensive line coach. He's coaching the line. And then Gunderson, it's, it's – I think he's next up, man, in terms of – I think he's going to get an offensive coordinator job if he wants it. I don't – I want him to stay as long oh, as he can. can. Oh, and, and, you know, in, in New Heisel, like even when we talk about recruiting yeah. stuff, you know, how many people throw out, oh, I really like that New Heisel guy as a coach. Like he's, he, his, his, he's just infectious. And if you watch his receivers, man, talk about competition. Holy cow. Dude. And you know play time in that, in that room? You, you better show up every day because there's a lot of dudes that are getting after it. That receiving room is as stacked as it's ever been at UCLA. And that's a great point that I want to kind of, you know, close with Jerry Neuheisel played a huge part in the recruitment of a four-star running back, arguably depending on the website you check out your recruiting service of, of choice, arguably the best running back in Texas with these rankings decides to go to UCLA It offers from Alabama, Texas A&M and Wayne, before I turn it over to you, I just want to say how crazy it drives me with this fan base still incredibly pissed off at Chip Kelly saying, oh, he can't recruit, he can't recruit. It enrages me because you go, find me a guy that he hasn't gotten in the transfer portal that has become an immediate impact player. I mean, you look at the guys on our front seven, Wayne. Latu, Murphy Twins, Toya, Muasau, all the days. Those are all starter levels, like above average starter levels. They're going to be playing that were in the transfer portal coming to UCLA. You know what I mean? So he's combined the transfer portal. He gets Dante Moore last year. He gets quasi, or he's about to get quasi Gilmore. I think a lot of people believe coming up this Friday gets a Derek McFall. I mean, am I crazy to think that chip has this program in such a great position heading into a new conference and can absolutely recruit with the best of them when he puts his mind to it, Wayne? Some people are really stubborn, right? Well, like, yeah, I think I I'll go back to something I was talking about earlier about like when you when you hear ESPN for example talk about the Pac-12 in a negative light for so many years and so often and every single week, eventually even people that work for the Pac-12 network start saying negative things. It's like it's like it just it just sinks into your brain. Um, I don't know who started it, but this idea that that like if you're a coach that wants to keep getting paid the amount of money you're getting paid. And if you watch the joy that, that Coach Kelly has in running a football program, 
I had an unbelievable conversation with him on, on Saturday just about other stuff. He's just a good human being who loves his players. He loves his coaches. Um, they're just doing things so well. And, he, and it's almost like people don't get that, that, like you pointed it out, recruiting is the transfer portal now. Yeah. You can get a kid. I mean, like we may, I mean, remember, like not only did Ethan Garbers come to UCLA from Washington as a four-star recruit, um, we had uh, uh, another player, um, Colson Yankoff, who was a big-time quarterback at Washington as well. And both those guys could play crucial roles in this team this year. Now, I'm not saying who's going to start and who's not, but but they're crucial roles. And even if even if Garbers ends up being the backup, he's still got leadership ability and the players love him and there's all that stuff. Yankoff's got a chance to play. Even though he might be that third running back, he's still got a, a chance. Like those guys were both big time recruits that transferred to UCLA, but have stayed, even though they haven't started right away. Now I know the transfer rules make you sit out and stuff like that if you leave, but like, and then you're talking about all the players that have come to UCLA and started. Like he's recruiting not just high school kids like Dante Moore, as you pointed out, or the recruit we just got the running back from Texas. Yeah, but he's recruiting kids that. Like Anderson from Bowling Green or Muasau from Hawaii, right? Latu was a Washington kid also. Um, Ali Kaho, who's starting to practice some. Yeah, it's great to have an Alabama kid. We've got yeah. kids from Texas A&M. We've gotten kids from, I mean, all over, all over the country. And to be quite honest with you, if you're paying attention, most of our transfers going out aren't doing as well as the guys coming in. Yeah, we're, we're choosing, and I'm not saying that pe- most of the people that are leaving. And I know Phillips is doing great with the Miami Dolphins in the NFL, but his was different because it was a medical. It was a med- There were some other issues there, but for the most part, we're bringing in the right type of people. Uh, Jack, or not Jack Wisdom. Tonight was a great pickup. That was a real emotional, spiritual leader of the team for a while. As we've been trying to turn it around, you need guys like that. So like. I mean, we can keep going, right? There's just so much. So I don't know. I, I don't know if you think that he's just sitting on his butt every every night going, I don't want to recruit. I don't want to recruit. I don't want to recruit. I'm seeing something totally different. And when I walk, we'll bring up Wiley, the transfer that's probably going to, you know, be one of our guards this year. Right. Jake Wiley. Yeah. Yeah. From Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You, you, there's so many, the Purdue, the, the, the Purdue linemen, the, that's her old the all, we've got all these people late in the day so the names are escaping my brain right now but like i know but all these guys when you look at them you're like i'm glad we have these guys sturdivant like come on like we can keep going every time i walk by him i'm like just just one i wanted to throw a fade to him so bad (laughs) i actually was talking to dante Moore. i'm like do you guys ever do the fade where you throw it and they they catch it over the outside shoulder like and i wanted to say like i used to throw to jj stokes i go you guys you got it he's right there like let's do it, and, it, uh, and I, I just I know I this is the year because we have not thrown very many fades. I swear we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get a few of those this year. I can feel it with guys like Ford and, and Sturdivant out there. I, I'm telling you, they've got size. They use their bodies well. They've got great timing. Our quarterbacks all throw with touch. That's important. It really, is. have a big arm, but having touch matters. They all have good footwork because they're coached well. I'm telling you, 
Man, this is – it's going to be such a fun year. Uh, UCLA coaches, if you're listening, uh, by the end of fall camp, we need to get Wayne to throw a fade route to Sturdivant at one of these practices. Wayne, so I can't throw anymore. My arm's dead. So, like, a fade is a nice, <laughs> easy one. I can't, th- I can't throw anything harder than that. We can do, like, a 10-yard out. You know, just a 10-yard out. We can make it work. 10-yard out, a hitch. That's all I got in me. Any parting thoughts uh, on this episode of the Bruin Bible? It's great to see you as always, man. Love having you on here. Uh, you're always such a great guest, man. Well, my, you know what I watched? I watched Deshaun Foster highlights on social media today from um, from them playing Washington. Oh, I saw you. you saw, I know you. Yeah, I, 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 I know you saw that. And I saw this. Okay, I saw this script right here. This this that that was by the way that was the year that I started doing UCLA football games. No way. The Deshaun, uh, that, that, that game? Warnish, the Corey Paws. Remember they, they jumped out to like 6-0 and or something like that, and then some stuff happened and we won't talk about. And yeah. it kind of got derailed. But, man, Deshaun was great, by the way. Um, but I do I do miss I do miss that. I think it looks so cool. They got to bring him back, man. I think they it looks so cool. Maybe we can have one game where they can just do like throwback helmets. Retro, yeah, please. That's all maybe I want. We, maybe we do the lighter blue shirts just one time. Yeah, man, I'm all for it. Let's let's start the petition here on the Bruin Bible. Bring back the powdered blue unis. Uh, Bruin Bible, such a fun episode, man. Make sure you're liking and subscribing the podcast. Going to be a big year here on LA Football Network for the Bruin Bible and all the shows we got going on, ladies and gents. Um, wishing you guys nothing but the best. Talk to you guys later this week. Let's hope we get Quasi Gilmer on Friday because it will be an emergency podcast after that. Take it easy. Bruin Bible, we are officially out. Bruin Bible listeners, we've got a special sponsor uh, for today's episode. It is AG1. AG1 has been something that I've really enjoyed using in my spare time. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole-source food nutrients in one scoop that you can use into your water. You stir it up. I use it before my workouts, before I start my day. And it has totally given me the energy I need to do the little things in life, like going to work, getting extra, you know, an extra boost, a second wind, if you will, for a workout before I play pickleball with my friends. Just it puts you in a good spirit of mind and you know you're doing the healthiest possible thing by putting AG1 in your body. Make sure to check us out and get a special deal with the Bruin Bible. It's www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get the special deal that we provide. Once again, www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get that special deal. Now, back to the Bruin Bible.